Here we are again from the blue corner. What can I say? This week is a special week. It's my birthday. Come Saturday. Um, and not only that, we the the Combat Sports Authority of New South Wales have finally opened the doors again. So I'm hoping that in the coming weeks or at least a month, uh, we will start to see a little bit of action. Um but, yeah, so for people that are just tuning in for the first time, make sure you subscribe, like, comment, share, all that good stuff, um, where I know the rest of you guys are doing that anyway. And, uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Today I have a special guest. Um, he completed the uh, Winter Warrior series, but he's done a lot more than that. He's uh, ventured on the mountains, um, obviously uh, did quite a few Ironmen, Um I'm actually shocked with the number. And uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to bring up age because they usually say that's a bad thing to do. But um, his fight name was Fossil, um, which is also <laughs> his stake to fame when it comes to the Wimp to Warrior series as he was the oldest competitor. Um, and he's actually um, written a book which is called Do Not Go Gentle, Um which I do suggest people go check out. Um, but yeah, I'm talking about Glenn Dobson and he is sitting beside me and uh, I will say welcome and uh, how has 2020 been treating you? G'day. Um, 2020 has been, uh, been interesting. Obviously, it's, uh, it's been a really challenging year for, for, for many, many people. Um, for ourselves, I hate to say it, I've gone from cage fighter to grey nomad. So... Um, Instead of being uh, training for cage fighting, I've been uh, bought a caravan and a, and a and a truck and been touring this beautiful beautiful state. So uh, yeah, twenty twenty's uh, been uh, been interesting. So when when you say you bought a caravan, have you actually been able to put that to good use? Because you know, with all the uh, border restrictions at the moment, or have you just been kind of like hovering around New South Wales? Just around New South Wales, we went round um, around New South Wales, spent uh, three weeks. It's like five and a half thousand k's, and went to um, places like uh, Broken Hill, Silverton, Lightning Ridge, Moree, Burke, um, Griffiths, and stayed away from the big towns. And uh, uh, it's a marvelous opportunity just to get out there and, and and see New South Wales. And when the when the borders come down, uh, then we'll uh, we'll go a bit further. Very different, very very different to to get to to uh, to Winter Warrior. So, but like, listen, your your sense of adventure has that always been, I guess, a part of you, or has that sort of like uh, come come out like later on in life? No, I think I think it started really young. To be honest, um, my grandfather um, was a guy. Uh, my grandfather was an ex international rugby league player, um, a pom Yorkshireman. He uh, he played in two grand finals at Wembley. He he toured Australia in nineteen thirty six. Um, my dad was uh, you know, uh, ex uh, Air Force, and and for myself, I guess my adventures really started at the age of sixteen, seventeen, when I left home. So uh, I left school at year ten and um, joined the British Army, and uh, so I had a couple of tours of duty in uh, some some really interesting places, and uh, yeah, it just went on from there. So the army was the the real start for myself. And with the army, what, was it just that you got out and uh, got to explore the world, or was there like uh, I don't know, like do the rugby have like I guess when you go to uni where they have like sporting teams as well? Like, what, what was there any of that? Because 
obviously, uh, as I say, like you've got a pretty athletic kind of history, mm. and like where, I guess, where does that come from? Yeah, well, I think um, when I was a kid, I, I and I was at school, I, I I enjoyed doing three things: I enjoyed sport, I enjoyed footy, and I enjoyed talking to girls. And then I saw this advert on the TV um, about uh, you know, trying to get people to recruit for the for the British Army. And uh, I remember saying to my granddad, my dad, my God, they get paid for that. They're playing, you know, they're training every day. They're playing footy and they, uh, they're talking to girls. So I, I literally signed up and uh, much to my mum and dad's di- dismay, uh, and I was gone. And it took me around different places around the world, took me into a lot of different situations. Um, you know, you think uh, Winter Warriors or cage fighting can be quite quite daunting. Um, I compare it to sitting in a, do- a door of a plane and uh, jumping out. That was uh, you remember you went you know, when you got in the ring and you you realize oh shit this is now real. Well, it was exactly the same with uh, parachuting. I did seventeen free fall jumps prior to tandem. So this was long, long before you had you were strapped to somebody's somebody else. And See, and uh, I, I was just going to say, like, I've done both, but I haven't done the free fall. Like, I've I've done the tandem, mm. and um, until the the Winter Warrior experience for me, like, that was, I guess, the highlight for me. Right? It was. Uh, I always said, like, I, I've I've been a big fan of roller coasters and 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 things yeah. like that. And obviously, I did the tandem, and I went, okay, roller coasters aren't the same anymore. Right? Mm. They they're just not. Um, but for me, but once again, I didn't do the, the, the free fall. I did the tandem. But for me, then obviously when the, the cage fight came along, I think that slightly edged out the, um, the, the jumping out of a plane. But I do understand what you're saying that, you know, I, I remember, you know, like going up in this little Cessnock. And, and the, funny, the, the funny thing with it is that you kind of feel like it's actually safer to jump out the plane than come down with the plane right because some of these these tandem you know things that they take you up in you really feel like the plane's kind of falling apart right so mm. you're kind of like oh, it's probably the better option i jump out mm. but as soon as they open that door and that wind just comes past it makes quite a bit of a racket right and and that's mm-hmm. i think where it really hits you like as you say you're like oh okay now's the time like mm-hmm. and and as i said i was really cool calm and collected going up and the guy kept showing me his, uh, i think the altitude meter and stuff and mm. he's like you know we're still going we're still going but as soon as that door opened like i think i've got the video and my face does turn kind of white you know like so whoop. mate this was this was back in the 70s so first off there was no guy strapped to me with a an altitude there was no there was no camera coming in from the corner so the family this was um, you get up there. It, uh, even the, the the parachutes that you use nowadays, you can guide them. You can land them on a land them on a dollar. Those things were like massive, huge circular tablecloths that they went one way, and you could guide them maybe a little bit, but not much. And in terms of um, jumping out, uh, we had this hairy ass sergeant major who would look at each one of us, and then he'd go, "You in the door," and it was red light green light and he would encourage us out <laughs> and the encouragement was just bang we were gone i did i did 17 of those 17 free fall and it was uh so i guess that's where where excitement started 
Did you um, did you ever have like a, a a bad landing in those seventeen? Like, did you ever like land either in the water or like up in you know when you see those movies yeah. and people are like stuck up in trees yeah. and stuff? Like, have you ever had a bad landing or not really? I never had a bad landing because as part of our training, we would be jumping off roofs. So um, you know, we did a two or three days full on training, and uh, they'd have us on roofs and we'd learn how to roll because you couldn't just stop when you land; you had to learn to hit hit and roll. Um, but I did have one jump where my, uh, we had, I think it was 16, 16 lines coming down. One of the lines went over the chute. So instead of having a full canopy where you've got, which is grabbing the air, we've got two smaller canopies because the line's over. And so obviously I'm coming down a lot, lot quicker than I should be. And, um, uh, I'm, and instead of, pulling the reserve, I'm shaking the harness to try and get this line off, getting closer and closer to the ground. And finally, just as the line's starting to come off, I pull the reserve and they both open up. But uh, I landed fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, that was an interesting time. I got actually, I nearly got put on a charge because the sergeant major said to me when I landed, he said, you should have, you should have pulled the reserve earlier. And I'm thinking, well, you don't have time to think does, about it. Does the thought ever go through your mind, though, when you pull in the reserve? Like, well, I hope this one works. Because after the reserve, right, you've got nothing else. Uh, no, you don't get time to think like that. It's more the training. Um, it's a little bit like in, in, in when you're in a contact situation in, in the military, you, your training kicks in. And so you don't get time to, you don't get time to, uh, to think about it. No. Yeah, you know where you're going. You don't have to worry about direction. You just gotta make sure you get your shoes open. And what what what's some of the uh, kind of like stories from some of your your tours? I guess um, like because I I know my best mates. Um, he he obviously uh, is in the services and stuff like that. And you know he's done Afghanistan and East Timor and he's done a few things. But a lot of the times as well, granted, it's it's more to do with peacekeeping than actually going out into into battlefields but like what are what are some of the adventures i guess you've you've sort of embarked on oh i um so i i so i joined up in 1976 and <clears throat> that was in the middle of the 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 irish war in northern ireland and it was a civil war and um it's uh you know the the, the british army was sent over to to keep the peace but in the end it uh it's you became you became a target um, but I, I went over there as a, as a young kid trying to learn about the world. And I learned so much. I learned about people. Um, it didn't matter what religion or what side the, uh, the, the people in the streets were. The ones who were good to us, we were good back to. And the ones who um, didn't like us, we, we had to defend. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. And then from there, I went to um, Central America and then from, and, um, and also Cyprus. Cyprus was great. Yeah, this, uh, this was not long after the, the Turkish-Cyprus ongoing dispute. And uh, we spent time just lazing on beaches and, <laughs> and drinking too much. So we actually didn't get any, any real, real, real hassles there. But no, it was, a great, it was, a, it was an excellent, it was a, just as a kid, there's a lot of kids nowadays who are, who are really struggling with themselves. They, you know, if they if they don't want to go to uni or if they don't, if they they join uni and then they pull out and they, it's a, it's a, a, a tough time. Um, they're insecure in who they are. They've been told they're perfect. They've been told they're wonderful. Kids nowadays they've been told that they can be anything they want, and then all of a sudden reality hits, 
and they go, oh my God, this isn't what I've been told. Yeah, as parents, as parents, I think as parents, and including myself, we've, we've lied to our kids for far too many years. We're not honest with them. We tell them they're great. We tell them they can be anything. But life, real world, isn't like that. And so we're almost setting them up for failure. <clears throat> Whereas, um, yeah, the military is a great... I only, I only served three and a half years, um, but uh, it just it took me through that tough age from 17 to 21 uh, which is a, a tough, tough time, men and women. And I, I think you're right. Like um, one, I, I saw a TED talk which kind of um, spoke about obviously kids going off to uni, and 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 the thing that stuck with me there is he said um, that you know back in his day it used to be if you went to uni and you got a degree you had a job, mm-hmm. and if you didn't have a job it meant that you didn't want one. Yeah. Where these days the degrees don't actually guarantee you a job either, no. right? And 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 he said the reason being is that things are changing so quickly now. So he said you're learning now that by the end of your course, which is four, five, whatever plus years, things might have changed so much that really that degree is now obsolete again, Irrelevant right? The so yeah. And so <clears throat> that really struck, uh, as I said, with, with what you were talking there. And and the other thing is. Um, we've set kids up for failure it's weird because we are now in this landscape where you know i mean growing up myself i was very competitive in the sporting field um you know and you learned how to take your wins and also your losses where now we live in this this climate that you know everyone gets a participation award Mm. right Mm. and it's because they don't want to upset the kid which i also understand as well but as you say, like I kind of feel like it is setting people up for failure once they hit the real world because, you know, they get out there and suddenly things don't go their way and they're like, hang on a sec, where's my gold star? Mm-hmm. Why why am I not getting this mm-hmm. job? Why you know why am I not getting paid what I'd like to be getting paid? And yeah, it's 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 a tough one because, as I say, like we live in right now we live in this this period of time where, you know, if 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 you're being real with your kids, you're kind of like looked upon sometimes as a bad parent, I guess, right? Yeah, I, but think, I think we need to be more honest. We, I think we need to be more honest in society. And look, I, I have to say that one of the, uh, the the challenges my wife and my kids and friends face is if they ask me a question, I'll give them an honest answer. Um, my my two daughters love going shopping with me. I went shopping with my, my youngest recently who's but the que- But the question on that is, do you love going shopping with them? Oh, absolutely. Oh, mate, seriously. No, if, and I, I've got to say this to all fathers. One of the highlights of my life was going to uh, formal shopping with my girls 10 years ago. I mean, man, we were in this in the shops where it's just ladies, the music's blasting, you're surrounded by some of the most beautiful people in the state. And, uh, okay, it cost me an arm and a leg, but no, absolutely, I love, I love shopping with the girls. But if they say, what do you think of this? I'll go, oh, come on. Oh, my God. No, and they they respect that, and I think we've got to be more honest in society. The, the if you go to the shops now and buy to, buy toilet rolls, the marketing line on toilet rolls is soft and gentle. This this type is is soft and gentle. It's nice on your bum. Well, we are living in a soft and gentle society, and that's why I loved Wimpter Warrior so much because it's the most honest honest environment you can get into not only getting up anybody can get up at four o'clock every morning to 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 go training and many do or anybody can get up at four o'clock to go to work 
<clears throat> but when you're getting your ass kicked, so when you're getting thumped every minute or every, sorry, every minute of every session or you're, 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 you're knocked to the ground and you've got to get up and you feel the emotion of not wanting to let yourself down, but you feel the emotion of not wanting to let your friends down or your other, your peers, I and mean, you've been there, not wanting to let your coaches down. That's the honesty. To me, one of the highlights of, of Wimpsy Warriors, it was a, an honest, totally honest environment and it's something that's missing out of society. You know, we've got politicians that all they're bothered about are just staying in, in power. We've got the media who's all they wanted to do is clickbait and so they can sell advertising. Um, we've got Facebook where people have opinions who have no experience. You know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm starting to sound like a grumpy <laughs> old man. But so, so, I mean, you obviously took a different route with the Wimp to Warrior too because you had your daughter do a series before you. Yeah. Right. So, was it was it a thing that you saw her at the finale and you were like, "I could do that," or was it more a case, I guess, of you you said, "Come on, let's do this" and have that father daughter bonding moment? Like, because I know yeah. in the book you mention a lot that uh, some of your most enjoyable experiences in in, <clears throat> in the series was actually the the car rides to and from yeah. the Winter Warrior and 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 the bond that you had with your daughter. So, I guess in 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 that sense, like, what what was your kind of mentality going motivator. into that yeah the motivator your why even i don't know yeah it's it's to me it's all about the why it's um so there was there was actually three so the first one was as you quite rightly say bev my eldest had uh, had got a life together um she'd lost she'd done the series series nine uh, she'd lost 30 odd kilos she'd uh, she'd also got rid of 72 kilograms of dead weight out of her life um she'd got her life back together and she was just, she was the, the young woman that we used to know. Um, and so the thought of doing series, to series 10 with her, it was just fantastic. So that was the, that was the second, you know, to, to support her in the second series uh, and do it with her. Um, the other, the second reason why was, um, and my wife and I had come back from uh, high altitude mountaineering. We'd, we'd climbed Kilimanjaro and as, as crazy as this sounds, um, I'd sold my business, or we'd sold our business a couple of years ago, and I was a bit lost, and I had nothing to aim at. You know, for forty odd years, I'd been chasing targets and chasing goals and chasing money and chasing orders, and all of a sudden, I had a diary that was empty. I had nothing to, had nothing to go for, and I thought that, uh, I thought, yeah, great timing. Six weeks, it'll fill the calendar. As crazy as it sounds. Um, and uh, yeah, I signed up for it. And then there's the third and probably the main reason. Um, and it was a poem by a guy called Dylan Thomas called Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. I won't read it except for the three lines. And it says, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Fuck it. Even now, as I as I I, I I speak the word, I can feel the emotions. I'm 62 years old, and people judge us by our birth certificate. You're, you're 62. Ah, oh, you're old. You should be. You should be a grey nomad. You shouldn't be doing this at your age. You shouldn't be climbing mountains. Or oh, what about this? Or be careful. Or oh, this could go wrong. Bullshit. I have got about 300 months left before I die. 
85. And I want to make the most out of everything I can in that time. I want to, I want to burn out. I don't want to fade away. I want to burn out. And uh, Wimp to Warrior was just this great opportunity for me to rage, rage against the dying of the light. The guys I, I trained with, they were, I'm, I would know, say I was 61, 62. The average age of the others was, was 30. Yeah, some were younger, some were older. And um, I went into that. Not only did I go in with a lot of anger and feeling of betrayal of what had happened through a former member of our family, um, but I went in with this attitude of, I might be an old bastard, but if you want me, you've got to come and get me. So every time I sparred with these guys, um, I it was like I'm saying, I'm here, but I'm not going to give you an easy knot. I'm not going to give you an easy session. And I like think potentially I, I was probably stupid in the way I approached it in many ways. Um, but that was my attitude. I, old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Old, I, every session, I, I, I wanted to get everything out of it I could. Well you, well, you do talk about it in your book that um, it was a big thing for you every week going going in was that you wanted to make a statement that you weren't just there to make up the numbers. Yeah. Right? You do, you do talk about that a lot. And also I think you mentioned something in your book about dealing with ego and also pride as well. Um, but yeah, like I guess at your age, I, I'm also assuming that's where the, the fight name came from. Fossil? Uh, actually, it was when I was um, when I was doing CrossFit. Um, so thank goodness I did CrossFit um, leading up to Wimp to Warrior for four or five years because it took me from um, being being an Ironman triathlete to help me transition to get some core strength. Um, so uh, yeah, I remember once I was in the gym and one of the coaches said, "Come on, uh, Fossil, come on over." And I thought he'd said the Australian word possum. I thought he'd said, I thought he said, hey, possum, what are you doing? And uh, anyway, he said, fossil. So I said, yeah, come in. And it stuck. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, so I, and I don't mind it. I don't mind it. You know, if I, uh, if I get, if I get hurt, if my feelings get hurt by half the things I get called, then I won't be leaving the room. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's where the fine name came from. Oh, that's where the name came from. Nice. But yeah, so going, going back to the age thing, obviously, hmm. um, you know, you do also uh, talk a lot about um, the the niggles and the injuries that obviously, because I mean, you're not that thirty year old anymore. Um, you know, so I, I know that was a, a massive thing for you, and and you always put on the war face. You wouldn't let the other guys know that you were going through these. But like, how hard was it on the body um, to go to go through through that period? Um, I've always tended to train most days, so. Ironman for 14 years, swim, bike, run most days. Um, and your body, so I was, I've always been, I've always been fit, but, but this type of training was totally different. And to really, to answer your question, physically, um, there were times when my body was just so busted. So week 12, no, week 10, um, uh, we were doing jujitsu. One of the guys landed on my ribs and cracked my ribs, cartilage went and it was a real mess. Uh, I was in a lot of pain, um, but I couldn't allow myself to not turn up. I couldn't allow myself to sit on the side. I had to adjust. So I took myself away from all the guys. That, you know, I, I, Mick kept saying, put yourself up against people who are better. Well, 
that was easy in my case because they were all better than I was, but I took myself to the farthest corner away from the guys who I was potentially going to fight um, and kept doing the training but adapted the training. So if I couldn't sprawl, I'd do something else. Um, after a couple of weeks, it started to I started to get some movement um, and I went to buy, I went to uh, Mick Pauley's, the, uh, the, the sports shop, and bought a, um, a cricketer's pad. You know the pad that cricketers wear on their thigh? Strapped that, put it, got a big thick no. sponge, <laughs> a car wash sponge, stuck that under the pad. I was back on the mats and life was grand. Um, we all got cut. I've got old man skin, you know, my, it's a good job I don't have um, that blood disorder where you keep bleeding, otherwise I'd have, been, I'd have bled out years ago. Um, week 16, we were doing, we were sparring and I kicked one of the guys and literally ripped the nail out. I fractured my, my big toe and fractured and ripped the nail out, not at the end, sorry, of my, of my toe, not the end, but at the root. Um, um, and that was, and even now, you know, nearly a year later, I still can't bend the toe as much. The nail's grown back, but that was, that was, um, that was a mess, um, uh, and then lots of other things, um, but that's part of the game. That's that's the difference between this sport. Um, so let me ask you this though: with a, with a sport like they call it a young man's sport, um, and and there's a lot of reasons behind that. Obviously, you know, when you're younger, you're more athletic, you're you're quicker, your reaction time's a bit better. Um, do you feel though you had any advantages? Um, during that series, and and I, I guess I'll just throw it out there. You know, people sometimes talk about old man strength, right? And 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 not just physically, but I think mentally as well. I um, think mentally, I had a, a big advantage over over. I had I think not over everybody, but I think so because of my age, because of the things I'd done in my life. Um, yeah, Iron Man and I, a fifteen hours fifty Iron Man can be a very very lonely and physically demand uh, sorry mentally demanding place to be uh towards the end so yeah i think i have a lot more i had a lot of resilience that um i was able to i was able to to pull on when i when i started to get busted up i used to get up at so the, the training started at quarter past five and we do you've been there we do like five ten minutes warm-up i would have to get up at 4 a.m to do my own warm-up at home so I'd then I'd then get to the gym at five to do an extra warm up. So I would warm up for the warm up before the official warm, um, and then we'd do the session. And then straight after the session, Bev and I would uh, would call would call in at the uh, Collaroy swimming pool. This was middle of winter; the water was freezing. So I'd get in the water to make sure I could, um, you know, get the hopefully get the body ready for the day after. Well, it's uh, the ice bath, right? It's the ice bath. It's yeah, the yeah, ice bath. yeah, absolutely, and man, it worked. <laughs> so yeah, part of it was, um, it was about yeah. I think an advantage I did have is this wasn't the first time I'd been punched in the face, um, and so uh, or physically put myself and mentally under pressure. So I think that was an advantage. I always say that kind of comes with life because when you when you're young, you're strong, you're fit, you're all this, but you've never, I guess, dealt with hardship. And through life, and I'm talking about all walks of life, you know, there's always setbacks. And I think, you know, as you get older, you just uh, mentally, as you say, you're you're more resilient. Yeah. Like it's it, it's just a natural thing. So where 
and I think even in, in my case, I mean, I'm 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 not at that age, but like I was eight eight years older than my opponent, and and I think you know that was the case as well. Was you know um, I was I was losing, but I, I wasn't willing to give up, and it was yeah. because you know I'm like, ah, oh, well, I've already hit rock bottom few times in life and you know what's the worst that can happen like uh, you, you kind yeah. of push on where a, a, a lot of younger people like they will give up a lot quicker and mm. it's just because they're not used to that um you know uh that kind of situation where where you know they kind of feel like their backs up against the wall and once again going back to this whole thing where with you know the way we set these kids up it's yeah. it's it's you know well we're in the information area so Everybody knows everything about everything because if I ask you a question you don't know, we don't think anymore. We Google. go to Google yeah. or call Siri or somebody. But so there's, but we, we're not experiencing life like we used to do. I, I read years and years and years ago a, a line in a book that said it's better to travel a thousand miles than it is to read a thousand books. And I still live that now. It's better to experience it. I say, I, I, I'm not a smart guy. I left school at year 10. But now, because I've built businesses, because I've I've coached and trained other companies for um, for the last twenty odd years, um, I've bought and so I've started and built and sold multiple businesses. Um, it's it's that's the experience that you can't learn through study. You have to be you you have to you have to experience to know truly what the feeling is. What's that film with um, uh, Goodwill Hunting? The great lining there when he's talking to those young guys and he's saying, you, know, "You, you read books on love, but you've never experienced it. You've read books about Russia, but you've never been there." It, it was that type of thing, and that that so that was probably one of the biggest advantages I did have at my age is that when I got put down or when I got hurt, or I was able to be flexible and manufacture uh, a different approach. To uh, to whatever the situation was or is. Was, was there ever a time though that you kind of felt like you you bit off more than you could chew? Like going on those six months. I mean, look, we all we we all go through roller coasters. I've always said it's a roller coaster experience. You have yeah. your good days, your bad days. But was yeah. was there a time just looking around the room as well and just going, listen? Yes. As I said, I did. I, I date. Uh, I was eight years older, but like yeah. your opponent was twenty years younger, right? Yeah. So just looking around the room, were you like kind of like? Because you also talk, as I said, um, about not just partaking, not making up the numbers. Like, mm. but was there any point that you just like, I I shouldn't be here? Was that 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 thought ever there? Not I shouldn't be there. Not I didn't deserve to be there, or had any right to be there. Um, but why did I sign up? Uh, no, no, I never questioned that. No, I was always clear on that with because of Bev and Dylan Thomas. Um, but, um, there were times, especially when, so I went into it really fit. So I, I, I believe now as I look back, I, I, I was strong, I was healthy, I was fit. And a lot of the guys and ladies who joined weren't as fit as myself when I joined or when we started. So for the first few weeks I was doing, I was doing okay. I didn't need to lose much weight. I wasn't heavy. I was strong. I was healthy. But over the time, um, I didn't increase as much, whereas the other guys did. And in towards halfway and beyond, you know, the guys were getting fitter and their, their, their natural strength was starting to come through. 
um, and my aggression or my fitness and my aggression, um, I was lacking in, in areas of technique and yeah, in areas of technique. So it, uh, I never, I never, uh, there was only really two times where I thought, where I thought about pulling out. Uh, the first one was out of my, totally out of my control. Um, and the first one, and it wasn't when I was busted. It wasn't when I was injured. Um, the first time was I went through the most of the program, almost waiting for a tap on the shoulder from one of the coaches. And I was scared of that. I was scared of one of the coaches saying, mate, seriously, well done what you've done. Um, but yeah, we, we don't want to continue. And that was a bigger driver. So because of that fear, fear is a bigger motivator than anything. Because of the fear of being uh, deselected almost, to use a military term, I, uh, yeah, I, I trained harder and more aggressively. Um, the other time which was under my control was late on in the series. And I'd heard a whisper that somebody was questioning if I actually should go through and fight because of my age. And when I heard this, I was fuming. So the person hadn't actually seen me train. They hadn't been to any of the, any of the sessions or they'd, or they'd heard anecdotally. Um, and it was the question, oh, you know, do we want somebody this age fighting? What happens if? And there was the, the phrase, uh, maybe an exhibition bout could be arranged. And I hit the roof. There's no way I was going to do an exhibition bout with somebody who'd, who was obviously a lot more talented, a lot more skilled, who could help me through the experience. Mm -mm. I would rather, and I, I made it abundantly clear that I, I wasn't into an exhibition bout. I wanted to get into that, that ring and uh, into the arena and see what, see what, see where it went. If I got, it wasn't about, to be honest, it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about just finishing the job. No, and, and, and the reason I ask is, um, once again, you, you mentioned something in, the, in your book, and this is what I say about looking around the room. Um, when, when you'd be warming up, uh, there, there, there's, there's a section in there where you're talking about that you'd be shadow boxing people. Mm. But as soon as that person would turn around, you would turn away. So you would shadow box them behind their back, but as soon as they would turn around, you would be like, oh, I'll shadow box over here kind of thing. Yeah. So you've got, you've got 30, 40 people in the gym <clears throat> and there'd be sessions where you'd, you'd have to shadow box. So I was visualizing, instead of just shadow boxing against a dot on the wall or uh, you know, this fictitious person, I, would, I was visualizing. So if, if you were standing next to me and you were facing away doing your shadow boxing, I'd be standing imagining through your height or your, your size, I'd be, I'd be visualizing my sparring against you but obviously i didn't want you to know i was doing that because i still might, i didn't know if i was going to fight you or not so as you started to move and turn i'd then shift somewhere else and and i so i was constantly visualizing as <clears throat> we'd run around the the gym in the morning to get this part of the warm-up and i'd be watching the guys and i'd be thinking who's it is it you is it you is it you and i'd be looking them in the eye and i'm looking for a gap i'm looking for a flaw um, I kept notes on 
every one of the guys I <laughs> this didn't come out until afterwards actually um, but I kept notes on every one of the guys who I was up against I took, kept notes on their injuries and I kept notes on their strengths because I didn't know we don't know who we're fighting against obviously the, the guys who were half my size or, half, or twice my size I knew I wasn't up against them but I kept notes on them because just in case I was going to fight with them, I needed to have some type of insight. Um, and yes, yeah, so as we warm up, I'd, I'd look at them, I'd be watching them, I'd be watching them you know, in the moves and the training and trying to think, right, if I'm up against you, what am I going to do? It's funny, and I think that's an age thing as well, right? Because I kind of did the same in, in a sense, more so when I, when, when I found out who my opponent was, because I was just like, damn younger he's quicker he was doing these cartwheel kicks and stuff and i'm like oh man i don't know and i was like but you know what he's he's sat quite a few sessions on the sideline yeah right for numerous reasons he had a an accident where he cut his hand open and stuff like that but the one thing that i said i was going to get him on was my cardio yeah and so i literally went between five to ten k a day Right, every day, and 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 my whole game plan was re- revolved around that. It was like literally, I'm gonna tire him out, and once he's tired, that's when I can start yeah. doing something. Like I, I knew skill wise everything. I knew he was above me, yeah. um, but I was just like that. That was the one kind of thing. Another interesting thing though with with um, with the book, did you um, go into the series going? I'm going to write a book by the end of this no. or did you just take a journal and then by the end um you went well i've got all this stuff now i might as well put it in the book and 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 once again like i i, I don't want to like keep plugging the age thing but i was like that that's really interesting because i think the youth of today they don't do journals no more right no, like that, that 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 is really something that, that well, they do but they do it on facebook yeah, I guess. It's a little different though, yeah. or, or Instagram stories or something like yeah. that, but they don't actually write things down anymore Correct. to obviously then, because I mean, you when, when you go through the book, you really do break it down pretty much week, week by, by week, week by week by week. So it, it really is like a diary journal. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it was. So I never had the intention of writing a book um, uh, about my experience. It's just that as I got to the end of it and I had 21 weeks of the experience, the highs and the lows, and, and I wrote from a, an emotional perspective, not, it's, uh, I think I've, I've put at the beginning of it, if anybody's reading this to learn, <coughs> to learn how, to, how to fight, you've got the wrong book. They'll learn nothing. <laughs> They'll learn nothing from, from my book about the techniques of, of MMA. Um, but it was a very personal journey. Um, and how I how I, I I went through it because it was such a great experience. And when we talk about great experiences, how how does it quantify in in regards to like an Ironman? Like, you know, like the challenges, the 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 outcome. Like, because I know Ironman is is another thing, and and the thing that I guess amazes me with with. Your story as well is the amount of Ironmans you've done. Because I, I, I know a few people that have done an Ironman, but they'll do two, three. Um, you've done 23. Like, it's yeah. it's, it's kind of like, um, I, I guess it's like an addiction to you. I don't know. But, like, obviously the, the Ironman when it comes to triathlons and stuff like that is is one of the pinnacles, I guess. Or it's, the, it's, the, the the, it's the pinnacle. It, so, it is the pinnacle. So the Hawaii Ironman is... 
uh, a bit like the Olympics. It's it's invitation only. You have to qualify. Um, well, actually, first off, you have to be able to do the distance. Um, it's a three point eight kilometer swim. Um, it's a one hundred and eighty kilometer bike race immediately after the swim. <coughs> Excuse me, and then you get off the bike and you run a forty-two kilometer marathon, and you've got to do that in under seventeen hours. Um, so it's interesting how it came about because I was um, I'd finished playing footy, uh, we'd emigrated to Australia, and I was running a bit, and uh, I watched Wide World of Sport, Kenny Sutcliffe, Saturday afternoon, and it had the Ironman on from Hawaii. And there were people crawling across the line. There were there were some amazing stories of resilience and and guts and and I remember I was watching this. I had tears running down my face. It, I was just so captivated by it. And I said to my wife Anne, I said, "I'm going to do that." She said, "What an Iron Man?" I said, "No, I'm going to qualify for Kona. I'm going to qualify for the Hawaii Iron Man, the World Championships." Now, this was back in 98. I was 40. At the time, in 98, I was 40, so I was born 58. Um, and I put a plan together. I got a coach. I changed my lifestyle. Um, I realized, so you've got to try. I, I was training maybe 16 hours a week, swim, bike, run, and uh, to do my first Ironman. And uh, I realized I couldn't commit enough time to training if I was working for somebody else so at the time I was working in the city had a big job big wage uh, running a business and I realized I couldn't train if I'd sold my soul for the money somebody else so um, I resigned and set up my own company um, and one of the things I'm I'm really committed to which I totally believe in is is public accountability um, a lot of people in life have a goal, but they don't want to share it. I want to lose 10 kilograms. Oh, yeah, but I'm not going to tell anybody because if I only lose five kilograms, they'll think I've failed. Or I want to run, I want to run a marathon, but I won't tell anybody because if I only run a half marathon, they'll think I've failed. And so I'm totally opposite against that. I, I'm big on public accountability. I posted every day, I'm sorry, I posted every week on Facebook and LinkedIn about my Winter Warrior journey. I called my company Kona. That's where the Hawaii Ironman is, is run every year. Uh, so every time I give somebody a business card, every time I did a presentation with, with uh, and the logo was prominent, every time somebody asked, what does Kona stand for? It reinforced my passion, my goal, to qualify, to train, to get up early, to manage my life in such a way where I could still spend time on my business, with my family, and my training. Uh, and so it became a not just a passion, became a way of life. Um, and, yeah, I'm huge on public accountability. If you want to make a difference in your life, tell people because they'll hold you accountable. You tell people about what you're doing with uh, with uh, Wimps Warrior, and you'd have the people who mean a lot to you, or the people who make make a difference in your life, would be the ones saying, "How are you going, mate? Keep going, keep doing it. Proud of you." The ones who don't, the ones who say, "Oh, but what about if? And what about the failures you could have?" Fuck them off. You don't need them in your life. But it's amazing too, because a lot of people, I, I don't know, when I did my series, it, a lot of people kind of kept silent about it. 
and it wasn't until the finale that, like, I, I thought, you know, I, I might get rid of 10 tickets is what <coughs> I honestly thought. And mm. I, I think I had close to 70, 80, and I was like, I didn't even realise you guys were watching. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah. and then they started coming in about, like, oh, your journey's been so inspiring and yeah. this and that. But, I, I yeah, as I said, they were kind of, like, silent f- followers. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But did you go straight to Hawaii, or did you do other Ironman? No, no, you can't. No, oh, you, you can't? can't go straight to Hawaii. So, first off, you've got to be able to do a triathlon. So I started at Cornell, which was a two hundred and fifty meter swim, a twenty k bike ride, and a five k run. I mean, I wouldn't even do that in training now. Um, but I got out of the water. I thought I was going to drown. Yeah, my pom for God's sake. I mean, poms can't swim, um, but I I survived that. I was hooked, and then I did. I went to Penrith and did the Penrith Enticer, which was, uh, and then I did an Olympic distance, which is one and a half k's, forty k bike, and ten k run, um, and yeah, I did a few of those. So I'm, I was kept building the distances up, training harder. Then I got picked for Australia. As amazing as it sounds, I got picked for Australia in 99 to go race uh, in uh, in Canada in the World Championships, but Olympic distance. Then I built on that, got a coach to who knocked off 20 minutes off my swim time, and I improved my bike and run. Um, then I did a half Ironman, um, and I remember I did my first half Ironman at Foster, and um, I crossed the finish line and I still remember today, I crossed the finish line, <clears throat> and I staggered to a wheelie bin, and I leant up on this wheelie bin and sobbed because I was so bereft of energy. I was so knackered physically, and I just could not comprehend that that was only a half, and yet in, that was September, in the March, I'd entered the New Zealand Ironman, full Ironman, and I just couldn't, I had no idea how I was going to be able to do double the distance that I'd only just survived. Um, but, you know, a crazy thing with Ironman is every race you finish, you go, that's it, I'm done. And then come Monday, you've had a sleep, you've had a feed, and you're going, right, what do I need to do differently? So, uh, yeah, I did 23 in the end, and uh, I did, I got, to, I did my, it was, Hawaii was my 21st. 12 years it took me to get there. And, and is there like components of it that's harder than others? Like, do you, do you think that the swim's harder than the run? Or, or it depends on your background. So I've I've always been able to run. Um, my swimming was diabolical. Yeah, my first swim over three point eight k's took me ninety two minutes. I think. I think I got it down with the coach. I got it down to like sixty nine. I think was my best swim uh, over time. Um, some people are good on the bikes, uh, on the cycling. Uh, I I had a running background, um, but yeah, there's it's like it's like MMA. You could be a great boxer, but if you can't do groundwork, you might struggle. Um, and it's the same in in Ironman triathlon. But what is it that goes through your mind? Because say like your ninety minute swim or or whatever. And you said originally the the full Ironman takes how long? So Se- you have seventeen hours. Seventeen hours. <coughs> and my my best time was eleven thirty two. But my first Ironman took me 15 hours, 52. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, it was dark. It was, All the crowds had gone. It was dark. It was wet. It was it was horrendous. And uh, you know, you're feeling sick. You can't eat because your body's just shutting down. Um, 
but I was going to Hawaii. I was. But so what? What? Just, I was not going to pull out. I wasn't going to finish. I was going to finish it. And but what's what, what's going through your mind? Because obviously in MMA, for instance, right? It's it's a lot shorter. Like obviously yeah. we're talking about ten minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of it is reaction based because yeah. you don't know what's coming at you, right? Yeah. But like when you're going for these long, long swims or yeah. these long runs. What kind of things are going through your mind? Are you more yeah. about like what's at hand? Like for instance, swimming, are you like just one more stroke, one more stroke, yeah. one more st- Or do you try to, I guess, take yourself away so you're forgetting that you're, you're stroking? Like like the same with the run. Like are you, are you thinking about, your, I guess, a happy place or are you just like just another kilometre? We've just yeah. got to do another kilometre. It's a, it's a great question, Dennis, actually, because if, if you wanted to go for a 5K run, most people can do a 5K run and – you, you put your gear on, you don't really warm up that much, maybe swing your leg a couple of times, but then you go. Except if you're 62, then you warm up before the warm-up, before the warm-up. <laughs> not for 5Ks. I might be old, I'm not that old. Uh, but no, it's, uh, actually, yeah, you're probably right, I do. But anyway, um, so you, uh, yes, yeah, so if you're doing a 5K run or whatever, are you going to do down to your local gym and throw some weights around? Uh, you don't really have to think about it too much. Um, if you're going to ride, cycle 180 kilometers, or we used to cycle 150, 160 in, in training on a Sunday morning, um, your brain is constantly going. Um, same with the run, because uh, you're thinking, so 150 Ks, you may be out five or six hours, you're thinking, right, food. You know, your body can hold two hours of food or two hours of energy, something, right, I need to eat. When did I eat last? Um, then you're thinking about cars, potholes, uh, direction, um, uh, cadence. So your brain's actually going all the time um, because a you've got to stay on the bike, b you've got to be you've got to keep eating and uh, hydration. That's a big one. You know, over a 15 hour race, you need to be able to keep the food going in. You need to be able to train yourself to eat and drink while you're on the run. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, I never f- I I found I was alert a lot of the time when I was training. Yeah, because you had to keep thinking about what's coming up next. It's a bit like in business; you don't just react in business. You've got to be thinking about what's the next stage. What's if this happens? What are the consequences? What are the opportunities? But what do I need to do next? But do you ever go loopy? Like, do you ever get to a point then you're like, I wonder if I turn the oven off at home? Like, I'm just saying. Like, is there is there a point after like? 10 hours that your mind just you know go goes into some sort of directions and and you kind of have to reel yourself back mm, in yeah that's that's interesting um a little bit i did i didn't used to run with i'd never cycled with headphones with music because it's dangerous um but i used i didn't always run with music because it gave me time to think of not only my running and my style and my cadence, but also if I had a problem at work or I needed to, yeah, give me time to think. Um, there was a time I ran, I ran across, I did the Marathon des Sables. So uh, back in 2011, uh, it's a 250 kilometer run across the Sahara Desert, uh, self-sufficient. So you carry a pack with everything you need for seven days. Um, and the only thing they give you is water every day, every morning, and a helicopter out if you're going to die. You've got to carry snake bike kit. You've got to carry um, uh, your clothing. You've got to carry seven days of food. 
for the dehydrated packs, etc. Uh, anyway, there was a day, I think it was day four, and the day was an 84-kilometer run. And um, through the Sahara, it was nearly 50 degrees. And I remember there was, there was a time where I was, I hadn't, had, I was dehydrated and I was starting to, my brain was starting to wander off and, you know, it, 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 that was a strange time. But apart from that, no, I try and, I try and keep thinking about what I'm doing because if your form goes, um, then yeah, the whole thing can, 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 can fall over. And thinking, and thinking about what you're doing, do you, do you break it down into little chunks? Like, and, and what I mean by that, like, do you go, all right, I've got 42 kilometers to run, or do you just go, I've got five, and then once you hit that five, you go another five, and then yeah, another five. Like, exactly do you like to break that. it down? Exactly or? that. Yeah. yeah. It's the, there's an old saying, the best way to eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Um, it's the same in sales. It's the same in business. It's There's your, there's your clear objective, but what, what's the bite-sized chunk I need to focus on today? So... Um, if if I'm if I'm going for if a cycle ride, um, I'm going to do hills. I'm going to do speed work. I'm going to do a recovery ride. Um, what's my position? I'm going to use. If I'm going for a run, same thing. Um, so yeah, I break everything I do down into into daily chunks, and that's the focus for the day. And in in regards to pace, yeah. how did you handle that? Was was it more that you kind of tried to set your own pace, or was there you know, like once it kicks off, did you try to keep up with the person in front of you and let them set the pace? Or especially, I guess, I mean, at 23, I guess you'd have your own strategies. But like on your first one, what was your kind of mentality going? Was it just about keeping up with the person in front of you or, yeah. or how, how does that yeah. all work? I've never been worried about everybody else. Even, um, yeah, in everything I do, I don't worry about what the others are doing. I worry about what I'm doing, what I need to do again pace, cadence, uh, hydration, um, food. I'm always thinking about what do I need to do. I guess, um, I, I guess what I'm asking though is like, you know, being your first event, like, yeah. and that's why I say on your 23 event, I, I assume you just do what what you're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, with the first one, I, I, I don't know, I would probably be like, I'll try to keep up with him, not because I'm trying to be competitive and keep up with him, but I'm like, well, I'm hoping – He's done an Ironman before, so therefore yeah. he knows what kind of pace we need. To, yeah, because no. I find a lot of people when they they take a competitive task like that, um, you know, you'll you'll sometimes see like the guys when they do their first event, they'll run out right at the beginning. Yeah, but then they'll realize like ten k's later, like oh, this is hard, and no. they'll start to drop back start and drop back. Right, and 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 that's I guess where I'm coming from is is the fact that, you know. I mean, as you say, you've done marathons and, 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 and triathlons leading up to the event, but, you know, you probably didn't know what was ahead. I mean, you kind of did, but you didn't because you hadn't done it yet. Like, okay. And I'm specifically mm. talking about your very first Ironman. Mm. Like, so afterwards it one, becomes easier. Yeah, so, uh, well, it never comes easier, but you just become a bit more aware. Um, but, yeah, my I, it was a case of um, my first one was in New Zealand at Lake Taupo, and... You see the turnaround boy, so you go round one k back, rah, rah. so there's you and and sorry, I could see the turnaround boy. So my my whole focus was I've got to get to that first turnaround. Um, then you get to the the second turnaround, and that's the focus. Um, on the bicycle, uh, there's an aid station where you can replenish your water bottles every twenty kilometers. So I will break it down. Right, what do I need to do to get to the next water? next next aid station 
on the run. Uh, in an Ironman, you have an aid station every two Ks. So what do I need to do to get to that, that, that next aid station? Uh, I never worried about anybody. With Ironman, you are, there's up to 2,000 people in the water at the same time, all wearing the same gear. You don't know who can swim, who can't swim. Um, and the, it's interesting, the, the, for a lot of people, the worst part of an Ironman is the actual swim because you're all in the water. The cannon goes and you're off. And literally there's people swimming over you, getting kicked in the face. You're getting people swimming and belting in the back of the head. And um, for some, it's, it can be quite daunting. Um, but it's, it's, it's part of the experience. And if you're swimming in the ocean, if you're doing like a, an ocean swim in like WA, Bustleton, um, we had one year where the ray, waves were rolling. It was an amazing time. Um, but uh, yeah, I used to, I just break everything down. It's happened in Winter Warrior. You, you've been through the Winter Warrior program. The guys, I think the guys who put the program together on a day, they knew what they wanted every week. But every day we'd focus on, on a certain part of it. And they'd never tell us what was coming the day after because they wanted us to focus on the here and now. If you do this well, then you'd be in a better position for, for tomorrow. Um, it's in, I, I run corporate sales training programs and, and sales coaching. And I'm constantly saying to people in business, don't worry about your annual target. Don't worry about your monthly target. What's your target for this week? And then what's the activity you need to put in? How many proposals? How many conversations? How many meetings? Um, and just focus on the activity. Because I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the old adage, quality activity drives results. Don't everything out, and often the results out of your control. So just focus on the activity. So we'll go last one on on, on the Ironman Open Ocean Swim. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were shark bait? Ooh, um, no. I mean, it's a long swim. Once again, you've got a lot yeah. of things going through, and it's just me. Like no. I've never been a big ocean guy, and it's purely because every time I go in the water, I honestly the first thing I, I can hear the Jaws yeah. theme. I can hear the Jaws theme oh. slowly in my head. Dun -un, dun -un. So, this is a really what I'm about to say. I think some of your listeners will think I'm not right in the head. So I live in Narrabeen, so we're on the coast, and I uh, I swim some mornings with with a group and down at Mona Vale. And there are times where I'm out in the ocean, you know, where you can't see anybody else, and I intentionally start to think about sharks. Intentionally, yeah, it's a little one percenter, and I'm I keep so I keep swimming, I keep swimming, and then I start to make myself, I know this sounds stupid, but it's gospel truth. I then make myself look at any shadows or anything. You know, it could be a part of the reef or it could be part of uh, some, some fungi or whatever, um, algae on the ground. But I make myself think, what's that? What's behind me? So I get myself into such a state, I've got to keep, I've got to keep paddling, uh, keep, um, keep, keep swimming. I get myself into such a state of, Oh my God, my heart rate's up. I then make myself calm myself down while I'm still swimming. And it's even worse when the ocean's rolling, but I do it intentionally. Um, I don't know why. 
I don't know why. Maybe it's a just it's a personal test. Um, but I, 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 I do that. I'm, I've done that on several occasions. It's about being in control of your own emotions. I'm a firm believer in in the one percenters in life. Yeah, I mentioned it previously. I uh, with Wimp to Warrior, the little one percenters. Um, I would uh, after every shower, I'd have. You know, I'd get the hot water on to ease out the aches and the pains. I'd always finish a my shower with a freezing cold shower. Even now, still do. It's a little one percenter. Now, would it make a difference? Probably not, but it made a difference to me mentally because it made me make that decision to have a cold shower, to be uncomfortable. So I literally try and put myself into positions where I'm uncomfortable. Nobody else knows what's going on. Uh, nobody else knows what I'm doing, but I know. And uh, yeah, it's it's often the one percenters that make a big difference. I kind of do that sometimes too, where I go from hot to cold to hot to cold, but I'll do it multiple times yeah. in the shower. But I, I, I kind of more took it for, uh, from when uh, growing up in New Zealand, they, they had the uh, hot and the cold pools and you jump yeah. from one to the other. And apparently mm. it's meant to be good for you. I don't mm. know how how much of that is actually true. I did but more I, for, I, physical, for a mental I more, do more mental challenge. Yeah, I do like the ooh, and then hot and then ooh, and then hot. But um, look, we'll we'll start to dial it back. But I just want to like finish off, obviously, on your finale night. Mm. Um, how was that experience? And 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 I guess I ask more so because you had your daughter fight on the same card. Mm. So mm. like backstage warming up, you know, did she go first or second? So I was I fought fifth, and she fought uh, she fought eighth. Okay. So she was fight eight. So what? I guess what was more nerve wracking was, was was it preparing yourself for your battle? And and once again, were you able to tune out and go, okay, we've both done this course together, but now I need to concentrate on my task. She needs to concentrate. Or was in the back of your mind constantly as well, like yes, she she's getting ready also. Um, the latter. I was able to tune out of what Bev was doing and what everybody else was doing. Um. It's interesting. Prior to that, I in the training itself, I I was always uncomfortable sparring with Bev. Yeah, um, even though she'd done the program before and she was so much better in so many ways at that yeah at, at MMA. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, but I always try and stay away from her. I mean, she's one of the three loves of my life. How how can I hit my daughter? And I remember. <laughs> There was this time where we were sparring. We kept swapping partners, and all of a sudden, we got the gloves up and we sparring. She's she's looking like Ronda Rousey. She's got this face on, and she's you know. And then all of a sudden, we're in front of each other, and I get this this warm glow of pride running through me, and I'm looking at her through the gloves, and my mind wanders as she goes. <laughs> I was going to say she sucked you once, smacked me right in the nose. I went. Uh, so um, yeah, after that you can you can you can do your own thing. So uh, come fight night, um, it was it was a, a, a great night for us all because um, we uh, not only just the euphoria of it, but doing it doing, doing the the being on the same fight card with her was was fantastic. Yeah, it was a really proud moment for both of us to uh, to share it, and and at the end of it. Uh, she uh, she got in the uh, yeah she got in the cage with me. I feel really guilty actually, so because it was t- totally on my control. But Alan 
who I fought, Alan Lux, he uh, he put me down in the second round. He won. He deserved it. He was better throughout the event. Uh, sorry, throughout the uh, the fight night. And uh, yeah, he des- he deserved the win. So while the commentators talking to Alan, congratulating him, Bev's got in. And I'm he, she and I are hugging and we, you know, we're we're quite emotional. It was just a beautiful, beautiful moment to share it with her. Then she obviously she's then three fights later. She has to then prepare for her own fight, and uh, yeah, she uh, she uh, yeah she went two and she's now two and zero. Oh, so uh, she did really well. And have you spoken to her? Like, was it harder the second time around for her because you were on the car? Because as you say, you did have that emotional, like the first time she just had obviously her task at hand, and then the second time, obviously, you know, and 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 to the point you said you lost. I mean, you. It wasn't like you got seriously hurt or anything, but there was a lot of emotions there. So ha- has she spoken to you about that? Like, was it actually harder for her the second time around purely because of that extra emotional kind of roller coaster? I, we've, yeah, we've spoken, and um, I don't believe it was. And uh, look, you need to ask her that. Maybe I'm misreading it. But no, I think uh, I think it was able to, we were able to help each other through it. There were times where, you've been there, there were times where with Wump Troria, you are your lowest ebb. And we were able on the drive home. We were able to to uh, to help each other through it, uh, and we were able to share it and uh, share share the experience. So no, I think uh, I think uh, it possibly even helped to get through. But she didn't need me to get through. You know, she she's tough. She enjoys it. Uh, she turned her life around, and it uh, yeah, she didn't need me to get through. She she would have done it by herself even without me. So, uh, but it was a great experience, and I would recommend to any father. Um, do it. Do it with your son. Do it with your daughter. Um, just do it. Okay, and 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 on that, my final one. Will we be seeing you on the mats again? Do you think you 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 will partake um, in another series? I wouldn't. I I haven't got a why. I haven't. I don't have a why. So my body will fix. Even now, it's still. Yeah, still busted. I, my my frozer showed back in Feb, and I couldn't get it above a certain. I couldn't get it above there. Um, that's now starting to free up. So physically, I could probably get myself to it involved. Uh, I could do it, but mentally, I don't have the why. Um, if I, 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 yeah, I just don't have the why to actually do the twenty-one week. Could I do a twelve-weeker? I don't know. Um, but for something like that, you need a reason. I Kona. Was was my reason for Ironman? Keep going, keep going, keep training, because um, I was passionate about it. Um, with Winter Warrior, don't know, don't know. However, <laughs> every now and again, I get this little voice in the back of my head that goes, Ooh, "Maybe." Well, and, and and that's the case. They always say never say never, right? Yeah. Like, there's, there's, I always say, uh, you're a long time retired. It's it, <laughs> it it's a game of opportunity, and sometimes if the right opportunity came along, you know, you you even though you said no three months ago, it may change. Absolutely. I mean, that 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 is life. It's all about the why. But I, if Dana wait, if Dana wants to give me a call and uh, you know put me up against Conor McGregor, I don't mind. I'll go easy on him. I hear boxing pays better. <laughs> May 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 Mayweather for uh for a hundred mil. There uh, we go. Yeah, I do it for fifty. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> but so, put Winter Warrior aside. Um, mm. I uh, and I know at the beginning you were saying you you're doing your little adventures with the with the uh, camper van RV or um. But like, what have you got any any sort of 
goals oh, in the foreseeable yeah. future? Yeah. Like, what, 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 what's the next kind of? Uh, so, so the camper van was is a um, uh, is a is, is space filler. It's um, because we can't do anything else, and so I didn't want to stay at home. So, yeah, so it's a nice space filler um, to see this great country. Um, somebody said to me last week, asked me last week, if I could be anywhere in the world doing anything I wanted, what would it be? And I said, I would like to be on the end of a rope at high altitude in trying to attempting to climb a mountain that was beyond my capability. I would like to be in either Nepal or South America, really trying to go high. Um, I had this, um, I had this goal a few about two years ago of being sixty at six thousand meters, um, and I got to I climbed a couple of mountains. One was five thousand eight hundred. One was five thousand eight hundred ninety-five, and so I still haven't cracked that at six thousand. Uh, if I get that. And maybe seven thousand, then we'll see. But um, yeah, that's the goal. But obviously, at the moment, we can't. Um, uh, I've just got to stay fit and healthy and alive long enough to uh, to to get back to the mountains. That the great thing of the mountain climbing is uh, I do it with Anne. With, I, I do it with my wife. Yeah, it's it's phenom- It's just a phenomenal experience. Uh, we've had a couple of problems doing that. You know, there was once where. We had to get helicoptered off a mountain in Nepal two years ago where things went really wrong um, and because uh, of altitude sickness. And you know, we got home, we reassessed, put a new plan together and went back. But, uh, yeah, that's the goal. Um, Speaking of the wife, has she always been supportive or ha- ha- has there been ideas of yours that she's just, you know, shake, shake her head and, and just said, listen... I learned. I love you. Yeah, I learned. But it's time. Ago. Time to tone it down. Yeah, I learned years ago never to talk on her behalf. <laughs> um, she, Anna and I are total opposites. Total. We've been together for forty-two years. We're total opposites. Opposites attract. Uh, and in this case, it certainly has. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. Keeps even, life interesting. Uh, even though I tell her every day how lucky she is, the, the reality is that I'm the lucky one. And uh, yeah, so mountaineering is great because we can do it together. And uh, I think she did question Wimp to Warrior, but was totally supportive of when we signed up for it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Right, cool. Well, look, um, I am going to leave it there. Yep. Um, obviously, for people that want to, um, you know, try their hand at Wimp to Warrior and jump in the cage, they, you know, go to wimptowarrior.com. But for people that want to, uh, I guess, read a little about your experience with the um, do not go gentle. Um, what what's the kind of best way for people a to get in touch with you and and, and to I guess even get a copy of the book? Yeah, um, contact me either obviously through uh, through the, the through the blue corner or through uh, my LinkedIn profile or or, or Facebook um, or call me zero four two five two hundred eight eight three. Um, so. Yeah, happy to uh, happy to send them out, and uh, we're out looking forward to the next adventure, whatever it may be. Well, I think the next adventure was right there. I would never, ever, in a million years, put my uh, phone number <laughs> up for everyone to to hear and listen to. But look, I really do appreciate your time. Um, 
you know, it's it's one of those things that when I originally approached you, you said, ah, no one, no one will want to listen to my story. But I, I actually think you, you do have a really good story um, that I think a lot of people will take a lot from. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate your time. Um, when you go on your next adventure, whatever that may be, whether it be climbing mountains or, or whatnot, hopefully I'll be able to get you in afterwards. Maybe there'll be another book involved. I have no idea. But until then, we're going to finish it up. Um, yeah, thanks again. I'm away, I'm away.